Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Steven Asentoski at Steven Toski on Twitter here for the MGO Fish Podcast. Again, I know it's not the beautiful voice of David Arnold. Uh, I'll do my best to impersonate him. I feel like I kind of sound like him, but uh, regardless, happy to be here uh, with me today. Uh, it's become a dynamic duo in sorts. Harry Hillman. What is up, Harry? How are you doing today, man? I'm good, Steve. And yeah, I'd agree. You, you kind of sound like David, but I also have a working theory that every average size white person uh, <laughs> sounds pretty similar. Um, you guys are, I would bet, pretty similar in at least height and uh, range of size. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I think so. I think he's uh, he's got a little bit more of the dad bod going on than me. You know, I try mm-hmm. to... I, I, I don't have any children yet, so, um, you know, I technically can't be in that category. I could probably, but, uh, but so he's got that over me. Um, and everyone tweet at him that, uh, he is the dad bod of the MGO fish podcast. <laughs> Indeed, he's got three kids, so he's got extra dad strength. That's true. At this yeah. point, I expect him to be able to lift cars run marathons, yep. tell horrible jokes, yep. the the triumvirate of being a father. Yeah, I think – I don't want to get into like a uh, a random like arm wrestling contest with him or just like a weird, I don't know, like roller hockey fight with mm-hmm. him. I don't know. I'm picturing all the dad moments where you see like a baseball field where dad's in the stands. He, he – I don't want to – I don't want to uh, tussle He's with Randy that. Marsh from South Park. I was just about to the say Little that. League. I don't want to. I don't want to awaken that beast in him. All right, yeah. but anyway, you got myself. You got Harry. Uh, Harry, let, let's talk basketball. I, I know last night I haven't. I feel like I haven't even talked basketball on this podcast yet. It's kind of crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. But uh, but last night, as of recording, last night was uh, the win at Rutgers, um, sixty to fifty two is a final score. Previously, before that game. Rutgers was 17 and 0 at home, which was baffling. And Michigan was 12 and 0 all time against the Scarlet Knights in basketball. Something had to give and something did give. Obviously Michigan came away with that win. Gutsy performance on a night where Michigan did not shoot particularly well, but they clamped down uh, on defense and, and really shut down Rutgers uh, star player um, really, really well. So I, I know tomorrow night we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a, a couple of folks. I think David will make an appearance and, uh, Anthony of, of um, yeah, Mason Brew. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just real quick, let's, let's do a cliff notes, uh, takes of this game, uh, from last night. Harry, what do you got? I, I don't have a ton, uh, Brandon Johns. I really liked what I saw from him. Uh, or no, not Johns Castleton. Yeah. Castleton. Um, he's developing like a nice piece. Um, Franz, his overall development's been really fun. And Xavier Simpson is Mr. Reliable, uh, flood the stat sheet. Um, yeah. he's a good player and I, I was excited. I think we've won what six out of the last seven when it looked like Michigan was outside the bubble conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I think, first of all, about the last game, Geo Baker was, was kind of shut down. I mean, he did have six, 16 points, which led the uh, Scarlet Knights. But 
he was seven for 16, so he didn't shoot his, you know, shoot the lights out two for six from three point land. And uh, just really good job defensively on him, not giving him many open looks overall. Uh, you mentioned Castleton. Uh, I really like the uh, post game comments from, I think it was both Martelli and Joan Howard about how the, the game film they, they started with was Castleton shooting uh, after the Indiana game. So I, I like that. You know, and I, I subscribe to, you know, your, your, your behavior is, or what would, I forget the quote, but what how, you do, how what, you do yeah. something is how you do everything. Yeah, that's a good one. But you know, how you do things behind closed doors without people watching mm-hmm. and uh, it paid off, you know, it, it was a, a time where um, Michigan was, was having foul trouble with, with Johns, obviously Isaiah livers is out. So you're kind of missing that piece at a, at the four spot. So to have Franz in there with Castleton and then you have either Teske or Davis in at the five, that's just a, an extremely large lineup and it worked really well. Castleton is, you know, a little bit more athletic of the centers that Michigan has to offer there. And, uh, and yeah, he came up huge that game. And I think he, he barely had like over, I don't know, he's averaging pretty low, like two points a game or something. And he, uh, only had like five minutes total in the past seven games or something, just because Austin Davis has uh, really stepped up overall. So, so yeah, Castleton is a great thing to point out. Um, Johns has been stepping up in, in lieu of Liver's injury. Um, and Franz Wagner, one, one thing I, I have to say about him is his offense has picked up a little bit as of late, but man, his, his ability on defense, his length is is and he's just a pest on defense man he he is so fun to watch uh just the energy he brings and he's really he's found a way to be impactful on the defensive side uh, of the of the court as well as rebounding um so it's great for him to have that level of impact without you know the shooting really being there uh thus far so so yeah it's a team i want to get your take on what is this team ceiling without uh, Isaiah Livers? Let's just play the terrible game where Isaiah Livers doesn't play for the rest of the season and then say he's healthy for the rest of the season. What does the outlook uh, for Michigan look like in both of those scenarios? So if Isaiah Livers is hurt and done for the rest of the year, I have a, a really hard time imagining this team getting out of a regional in the NCAA tournament. Maybe they win the first game, probably lose the second. It's a team that, I mean, most teams, when you take out their best player, they're not nearly as good. So I don't feel that's very controversial at all. But with Isaiah Livers fully healthy, I think it's a team that, given the right matchups, of course, can make the Final Four with Franz, Isaiah Livers, uh, Xavier Simpson, those are some really quality defenders. Uh, Franz, Isaiah Livers can create their own shots. Xavier Simpson and, and Teske are battle-tested veterans. You get a nice little um, boost energy with guys like David DeJulius, um, Colin Castleton, Eli Brooks off the bench. And, of course, Austin Davis has probably had the one of the better in-season turnarounds of any player I've seen in a really long time. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. His work in the post, especially as his offensive moves in the post, something I just like didn't know he had. And I think it's, it's obvious he's worked on that. And I'm sure Juwan Howard has 
you know, helped in assisting in, in that growth for him. And, you know, it's partially because Teske has kind of lost that ability. You know, I know players go through funks and he's really struggled in terms of his production around the rim overall. So um, it's really great for Davis to, to step up in uh, in that role and to really contribute some huge minutes. So I, I think I agree with you overall. If Livers is back and fully healthy, it seems like, you know, he's battling a day-to-day ankle injury now. Seems like these hip things are uh, past him. This is me knocking on wood uh, for that right now. <laughs> um, and Harry knocked on his wall, so good work. Um, the uh, So, like, I, I think I agree that, it, you know, if Livers uh, is not with the rest of the team, I could see him, you know, maybe quarterfinals of the, of the Big Ten tournament and then, uh, yeah, second round, um, you know, beyond that, it would, would be uh, pretty – shocking if they made it past that without him with him i i don't know if it's a final four team just because i don't see the consistency enough now they're trending in that direction you know if you ask me you know we, we got at purdue we have at ohio state still at maryland gonna figure out a lot of things as isaiah livers is getting healthy um so i i think it's it, it's not the craziest thing to see that potential i just it's clear that you know we started off really hot had this uh the middle of the of the big 10 season was pretty rough losing um you know what what was it four of or five of six games starting at at michigan state in early january so um but i mean as far as the like you know you take the overall picture of the season i think this is the best case scenario because michigan started as hot as you possibly could with some huge wins um you know, if you're going to have a dip, do it in the middle of the season where, you know, the start under Juwan Howard got a lot of the recruiting attention of a lot of high profile guys that are looking to be trending towards Michigan or have already committed by this point. Um, and then, you know, now that Livers is getting healthy, Michigan is improving on defense a little bit towards the end of the season. Now you, you're building that momentum towards, you know, the crunch time of, of Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament. So, I think it's exciting. Um, speaking of recruit, or actually, you know what? Let's back up. Before we talk about uh, recruiting, you brought up Austin Davis. Mm-hmm. What is going on? What is going on with this uh, with this nickname? And uh, let's shout out the uh, fine gentleman who, who asked this question on Twitter, Matt Helmkamp. Helmkamp. He, uh, he writes for GBM Michigan. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's a good follow. You should go follow him at Matt Helmkamp. Uh, he asked, well, I'm just trying to pull it up. Okay. So he asked, but on the nickname with Austin Davis, are we in the Custard Shack camp? or And have we denounced Big Country, or are we sticking with Big Country? So I'll, I'll give you your – Give me your take on this first. I want to. I want to hear what you have to say about this because I'm very confused overall. So my my take, especially, is that there's really no better nickname for a big, uh, a, like a big dude than Big Country. <laughs> I think it's the epitome of nicknames. I think it shows blue collar attitude. You don't give it to someone that's kind of soft around the edges, a real grit and grind kind of guy. 
mean, big country works in baseball, basketball, football. I've played with two or three big countries in my time, and they're all really tough dudes. And giving him the nickname Big Country, I think, is so much better than any other nickname you could give. Kind of that backup toughness, big man like Austin Davis. Like I'm, I mean, Custard Shack, it's kind of funny. But, I mean, in terms of actual nickname, Big Country all the way. Yeah. I mean, Austin Davis has extreme YMCA dad like, oh, yeah. vibes to him. Yeah, 100%. So – do you know where Custard Shack even came from? I think I could, uh, Ant Wright. Is that it? But I think like, it's Ant Wright. I, I, I need to at him because I don't know what about Austin Davis screams Custard Shack. I mean, obviously he's a white dude, so that explains the custard. But uh, but like I I don't get it. I don't <laughs> like he's not overly big. He, he's mm-hmm. you know kind of small he's what 6'10 6'11 I think, I think he ten. might even be 6'9 yeah he might be 6'9 so he's on the smaller side of you know a center so it's not like he has the Shaq size his moves maybe it's his post moves but Shaq was more muscle than I feel like Davis is pretty efficient with his moves and I wouldn't necessarily call Shaq efficient he's just a massive human so so I don't know man custard Shaq it's not doing it for me even big country, I didn't really get it. Like maybe he's a big like country fan. I get it. I think he looks like a farmer. Like if you throw like a uh, a straw hat on him, then like you know it looks like he belongs on <laughs> like in the country. Um, I I'm gonna propose a new nickname, Big Ears. Yeah, the I was dude, about to say Dumbo. <laughs> the dude's ears are amazing, and I love them. And uh. My brother has very similar ears where they just stick out the side of his head, and it's hilarious. Um, but I would love big ears, man. As long as he's, you know, he, he, I feel I feel like he'd be a good sport about it. But mm-hmm. but uh, that's my third nickname, Matt, to your question, big ears. And uh, so if I, I did a little <laughs> bit of research while you were talking, okay, and from the looks of it. Um, it started going around on Twitter around February 1st. So I think it was probably one of, uh, Ant Wright's podcasts where he, uh, started it and the game, it looks like the game he started it in was the Rutgers game where he had eight points, uh, went four for four from the field, um, and was a big part of that win. Sure. So I think it's also a little bit ironic because he is kind of a big awkward uh, white dude whereas even though Shaq was a bull in a china shop he was so smooth at the same time right that makes so sense. I think it was a it's a little in jest and oh that, for that's sure fine <laughs> but when when players actually start playing pretty well I think you have to take out the the ingestness and go with the real nicknames yeah yeah I'm with you yeah and and I mean, it's if he prefers Custard Shack, I'm of the the mindset that obviously you can't choose your nickname. <laughs> if a nickname is suggested and you're like, oh, that's cool, then it's okay. So I, I'll defer to Austin Davis here, um, but I'll agree with you. Big Country over Custard Shack, at least for now, with the new suggested big, big ears, as long as Austin Davis doesn't take offense to it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would even go so far to say that picking his own nickname would be the most like Shaq he could ever be. So <laughs> that fair. would really fit in under the custard Shaq. That's uh, true. Yeah, th- it's like a trick question. It's like, oh, what, what would you like to be called? And then any if he gives any answer <laughs> other than custard Shaq, it's like a paradox. Because if he chooses custard Shaq, then it's custard Shaq. Anything else, that's the most Shaq move you could do is choose a different nickname. So, so yeah. I- I would even go like and say, let's just start like playing off of all of Anthony Davis's nicknames, except for the brow. We can call him AD, um, anything like that. Um, they're all going to be second to my all-time favorite nickname, though. What's your all-time? My, without a doubt, all-time favorite nickname. Do you remember Andre Karolenko? Yes. Do you remember what number Andre Karolenko wore? I don't. He wore 47, so he was just AK-47. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's by far the best. Mm-hmm. That is the best. Yeah. Yeah, nothing's going to beat that. Um, I, I'm partial to Sauce Castillo for, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> for Nick Stauskas. Maybe the funniest. Do you remember so, how that started? It was it was something so random that yes, I, I don't even remember. Fan. It was on his closed captioning TV during oh, yeah. I think, a Sacramento Kings game. <laughs> I think like a like that fan has made Nick Stauskas a significant amount of money because he launched his own like sauce Castillo um, like hot sauce line. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to at that point. Absolutely. That's... It was incredible. It's <laughs> that's up there, um, and yeah, I mean, that's so random that it's great. Oh yeah, that like that's something where it's like no one could ever invent that. Like the gods themselves, <laughs> like the closed captioning gods themselves, announced this random ass nickname. Yeah, that so that's my favorite just for the randomness of it. But AK forty seven is a pretty badass one. So I'll give. You I that. agree. All right, let's shift to uh, a question. Not even a question. It was just a screenshot from at Go Blue Boulevard of just the the beautiful picture of uh, Joshua Christopher's. Uh, recruiting profile on 247 um so i mean i think michigan's gotten what six straight uh crystal balls from um you know most of those who are relevant people i think 10 total crystal ball predictions now i think at least nine of them are on michigan i'd have to i believe 10 i think josh gershon he is got the the question mark for those that don't know, that means when you have a prediction and you don't feel comfortable with any school, you can change it to a question mark and you don't get points deducted or it doesn't hurt your accuracy. Got it. Where And, and that came in when, like, before the Michigan wave started. So it's kind of like a... I wouldn't say a Michigan pick because it's not that, but when it wasn't firmly on UCLA and then shortly after the Michigan uh, thing started, I'm going to have to see if, if we at MGO fish have a uh, basketball crystal ball. I know we have a football. Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't, I haven't looked at that, but yeah, Sa- Sam Webb was the first, I would say recent, Start with Jerry Meyer, who is director of basketball scouting. He was the first Michigan prediction on uh, on January eighth, and then um, since Sam Webb's recent prediction on February eleventh for the Wolverines, there's been 
let me count here one two three four five six seven eight more additional um predictions for the wolverines so there's no non-michigan prediction outside of the question mark from josh gershon mm-hmm. um so that's that's pretty great <laughs> yeah um josh christopher obviously shooting guard six five uh out of lakewood california he's ranked 10th overall nationally um number three shooting guard in the country for the 2020 class um i don't know if you've gotten a chance to to look at his uh film if you've you know been brave enough to it's it reminds me and i'm not i I don't want to say it but i'm gonna say it of when i started watching the Najee harris film of obviously it's a different sport but uh it was like that level of like oh my god this guy is like obviously a five-star next level like instant impact one and done type that uh i mean michigan already has a couple you know isaiah todd uh dickinson as well um so it's it's pretty crazy to already have a couple of those guys that you could say are of that level but uh what was your first impression watching uh watching christopher uh in his film the thing that really jumped out to me steve is that this and and this is going to sound weird but the athleticism doesn't uh stand out more than the skill set yeah and he's an insanely terrific athlete. Don't get me wrong, but his skill set is so elite that it really elevates his game. And what yeah. I mean by that, he's a guy that could probably come in right now and start on most Power 5 teams. Yeah. There's Isaiah Todd. In the, the athleticism is what I notice most of all. Whereas I think that's a guy that's a little bit more of a work in progress. I don't think he'll be someone that comes in and can average 20 points a game. Uh, I think Christopher might be able to like average 16, 18 next year. He's an insanely good shooter. He can get his own bucket, high effort stuff. I, I try and just have a little bit more fun when I watch basketball highlights because um, as a 5'10 uh, Jewish man, I've never been able to even come close to doing anything that's happening in these highlights. So, But, man, it's so – right now, there. I saw something on 247 today, I think it came out, where I don't know who it's from, but the, the headline was, when, not if, Christopher commits to Michigan. Wow. So it's looking like it's pretty locked and loaded at this point. I'm yeah. not still knocking on wood because, I mean, hell, like you said, Najee Harris, he was enrolled in Michigan. Yeah. Um, and that, I, I don't want to talk about that. But <laughs> we have two top 15 players right now. If Josh Christopher isn't a one and done, it's because something like really bad happened. Yeah. Either. He um, either he gets hurt or his game just falls like all the way to hell. So yeah. I wouldn't expect him to stick around more than a year, nor yeah. should he. Right. He can get that bag. Um, whereas I think Hunter Dickinson, Terrence Williams, and uh, Zeb Jackson, I, I think I might honestly be a little bit more excited about them because those guys look like two- and three-year guys that are still elite but maybe have a slightly lower initial ceiling. But yeah. 
in Christopher. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy because mm-hmm. I, I like that you said the uh, the high floor of of um, of Christopher is what stands out the most. Where um, I think some of the biggest potential concerns is uh, a guy coming in and not being able to function on defense at least for me that always seems to be something that keeps a guy off the court where if you're a defensive liability um you're just not worth putting on the court even even if you're an offense you know if you can score uh every time you know or or three out of four times you get the ball but you're such a liability that teams will target you every position possession that's gonna keep you off the court and i i you know i don't see that from um from Christopher, everything I've seen um, on different scouting reports and film makes it look like he has a potential to be a pretty versatile defender. I think I watched a, an entire game of his, and uh, man, he—he—it's not necessarily an attitude because um, he, he wasn't rude or anything, but he played with a lot of fire. Um, <clears throat> reminds me a lot of DeJulius out there, where DeJulius on defense, man, it's just fun watching him hustle. Uh, last last night and Geo Baker same thing, man. Where he just would he he's unrelenting on that, and he thrives on making other players uncomfortable. And I saw a lot of that just in like the facial expressions of Christopher, where uh, he he enjoyed um, making other players struggle even more than you know when he would dunk or, or make a nice basket. So his his finishing ability is ahead of his um, passing ability right now. Obviously, that's what makes him a shooting guard and not a point guard. So, um, yeah, it, it's just it's hard to see anything that would hold him back right now. And um, it's crazy because I think Hunter Dickinson is possibly the higher, higher floor prospect, and Christopher already has a really high floor. The only thing going for Christopher instead of Dickinson is Dickinson is a center. And having a, you know, 7-2... Not necessarily athletic center. Those guys aren't flying off the shelves for the NBA after one year too much. Mm-hmm. It's not not the skill set where Christopher is. You know, a six four, six five shooting guard. Those guys will um, be in high demand in every NBA draft. So I, I think you're I think you're totally right. Where Isaiah Todd and Christopher are the types where they're going to be gone next year. Whether you know, again, hoping that Todd sticks with his Michigan commitment, but regardless those are both guys who Michigan will have for one year. And then you'll have the Zeb Jackson, uh, Dickinson and, um, Terrence Williams, uh, probably around for at least a couple years. And the final thing I'll say about Christopher is, uh, he was, um, teammates with both Dickinson and Williams, the Michigan commits for the, uh, this most recent weekend in, uh, in, I think it was in Chicago. Uh, this yeah, past weekend they, for they AAU do a ball. lot of AAU stuff during NBA All Star Weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like just if I were to like rub my crystal ball and just project out, it, it seems like Christopher's a guy that will probably be a top ten pick. Isaiah Todd feels like somewhere between. 11 to 18 that range where you're you're really gambling on the potential but still a good player yep and then in three years dickinson just looks like someone that's going to be taken high in the second round because 
he's a really good basketball player, but maybe just limited a bit athletically. Sure. Uh, he he kind of reminds me of a better version of. Do you remember Brian Zubak? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I could see I that. I hated Brian Zubak. <laughs> he was he so was, annoying, man. He, he was so annoying, and he would average like six and five, but he was just so important to Duke. Yeah. And I, I think Dickinson's a better version of that. Yep. And I think Joshua Christopher, he's like um. Like it's, when you were talking about his attitude, it just clicked with me because I, I recognize that too. I think he's like a slightly more athletic, slightly more polished, and significantly more consistent Jordan Poole. Ooh, I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Like a little bit like if Jordan Poole, like Jordan Poole, what, two years at Michigan? Mm-hmm. I think if, if Jordan Poole stayed for one more year, that's probably what you get with uh freshman Christopher. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you could see that where yeah. physically Jordan Poole needed a year or two to kind of bulk up. Um, and I, I think Christopher is just ahead of the curve there a little bit. So, so yeah, I could, I could totally see that. Um, I think maybe the, the only thing we'll have to see is how well Christopher adapts just to, because you know, it's every player and, and it, it, changes for every player where you're the guy in in high school and then you get to uh college and you have to distribute and um so i i haven't seen an issue where like he's taking terrible shots or is you know being a ball hog or anything like that but that'll be interesting he seems pretty mature for his age overall so i think he'll be you know he'll be fine um but the good thing is Michigan has a couple guys in that role next year. You know, I think Franz will be around. You'll have some, uh, some more senior, uh, level shooting guards and Eli Brooks. You'll have DeJulius there as well to, uh, to help him out. So it'll it'll be a good mix on the roster to help, um, bring him down to earth or, you know, let him work within, uh, a college system instead of being that guy. But, that's pretty broad. I think, you know, it, it shifts for every, uh, every player and that could apply to any top recruit. But I think Michigan, you know, not having all one and done level guys will help, uh, the new younger guys come in and, and, um, you know, have a good mix of, of experience versus, uh, you know, immediate one and done talent. Totally. Yeah. And you know what, if he is just, the, the guy, the score, I think he's good enough to do that. Yeah. I mean, and, we, we saw Iggy kind of grow into that role, right, where he was mm-hmm. he became the guy towards the latter half of the season where you turn towards for a bucket. Now the X factor will be what does Isaiah Livers choose to do, where if he's gone, obviously we'll really need someone to step up into that role, and then we have you know much more uh, just options between Todd and Christopher and – uh, Zeb Jackson, if he, you know, slots in there as a rotation piece, but, um, so yeah, that, that'll be next factor. We will see how the roster shakes out because it's mm-hmm. getting pretty crowded. Um, you know, I never like to speculate on, on who's leaving. I think there's a couple names that people have speculated, but, uh, but we'll, we'll tackle that when the time. Yeah. Comes. I, I do think livers will be back and that's all I'll say on that matter, because I agree with you. I don't want to speculate on if, like an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid might yeah. get the firm handshake because he's not good enough. Right. I mean, NBA draft is different, but I don't see anyone that's an elite NBA prospect right now. But, right. but we can close the book on that discussion yep. for another couple months. Sure. So I, I want you to give me your one um, 
your one favorite thing so far this season that you've seen or heard from from Jawan Howard? It can be as as minute or just like overall thing about Jawan Howard um, as a whole. But give give me one thing about Jawan Howard thus far that uh, that you like or or even dislike. Just choose one one thing that kind of stands out to you about him overall. And it's purposefully broad. I want you, I want to make this very difficult for you. (laughs) So, okay. So I think I got it and it's not recruiting, even though that's definitely a big one. Sure. I think we all kind of knew that someone at Juwan Howard's um, with his resume and his pedigree would be a really good recruiter. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I was impressed with was ability to respond to adversity. Hmm. Michigan was, I believe, 11 and 8 going into the Michigan State game. They had just lost 5 of 6 or 7 of 8. And they were in a bit of a rut after being ranked number 4 in the country. Mm Mm-hmm. So they had been at the very top, and they had been struggling a lot. And they're going up against a really good Michigan State team, and they just beat them. Yep. They outright beat them. It wasn't even that close. It wasn't like a huge blowout, but they just beat them and and played a lot better than they did at home in a must-win game with their backs against the wall. Yep. If they lost that game, they're they're probably not going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And then they come back. They kill Northwestern. They kill Indiana. They beat Rutgers on the road. And it's a really impressive thing to see. You kind of have that blend of the the beeline veteran leadership with Howard bringing up some of the young guys and being able to respond to adversity and get themselves firmly in the uh, NCAA tournament discussion. I was really impressed by that. Yeah. Probably one, maybe two wins away from being a lock. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's that's good that you bring that up. I think it's uh, it, it was looking. It, it was funny because Michigan started the season as strong as they did, and then once they started sliding, it came back to what's happening. Bring back Beeline, and it was funny because before the start of the season, uh, those expectations weren't there. So he set the bar so high for himself that as Michigan started slipping back kind of to reality a little bit, um, it's funny how quickly people uh, reset those expectations because of the start of the season. But uh, I think for me overall, it's the, um, it's how comfortable he looks out there and how comfortable in interviews. It's just his, his comfortability where uh, I think both with, um, with the players, it's obvious like, you know, he's, he's dancing after the battle for Atlantis, um, all the interviews, both, you know, mid game and after the game, he's very calm, very composed. Um, and he looks comfortable. I think it was against Rutgers where like the, they, the refs stopped the game to tell him to not come past half court. And, uh, I mean, he's been tacked up a couple times. So like, he seems very, very comfortable and not afraid to show emotion. I, I feel like a first time head coach, you don't necessarily want to like rock the boat too much. You don't want to, you know, let too much of your personality shine. You want to be more resolved. At least that would be me, right? You're soaking a lot of things in. You're learning a lot. seems like he's, uh, 
really putting himself out there and, and being, um, I don't know, it like suits him really well. Where I, I you know, it, it's it shows that it was a uh, that it was a pretty thorough interview process because I think that's important. How do you carry yourself as a head coach? How comfortable are you going to be in such an elevated role and position and representative of this team and university? And uh, for him to just immediately step into that and be comfortable in all as in all facets of the game, including recruiting. Um, I don't know. seems like he, he, he's already, you know, going to war for the team. And it, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's just nice to see how, fitting he looks and how he doesn't seem uncomfortable it seems like something that uh he was prepping for and, and built for and it the moment is not too big for him the role is suitable so i think that that was something where i thought it would take a, a bit of time and uh it seemed like from day one he he was just there already so i think that's that's pretty exciting i, so, I agree yeah so so that's the high we're at right now um there was another question from our, our boy uh, Matt, Matt Hellcamp, um, just to talk about the the John Beeline uh, situation. So obviously John Beeline, Cavs were what fourteen and forty, I think was their record before uh, abysmal. abysmal before John Beeline stepped down. I believe he's still. I didn't read the the uh, release from the Cavs. I, I know Beeline is still a part of the organization. Yeah, I think he got reassigned, yeah. which. Seems like a nice way of saying we'll pay you for the rest of this year yeah. if you just leave. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It was a mu- mutual agreement. It seemed like John Beeline was just miserable. But give mm-hmm. me your take overall on, you know, what went wrong. Um, you know, let's talk just about the Cavs, and then we can talk about the future of John Beeline moving forward. Mm-hmm. But just what do you think about, like, his fit with the Cavs, where things went wrong? Um just give me your take on that. I mean, overall, the, the Cavs are probably one of the, the worst organizations in professional sports right now. Yeah. So to make that leap, it's pretty um, jarring that he left for the Cavaliers. Yeah. Right? Like, we forget that without LeBron, the Cavaliers were absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Terrible. Really bad. I mean, they... They don't have any really appealing young guys on this roster. Their GM just seems like a total fish out of water and kind of a, a tool. He yeah. doesn't seem very good. Kobe Altman, I'll, I'll just say his name so we're not stuck <laughs> tweeting anyone. Um, and you know what? They have a lot of disgruntled players, and I can't imagine how miserable it was for John Beeline going to work with Kevin Love walking up the floor and pouting every time and Tristan Thompson pouting and asking to get bought out and texting a Kardashian in his free time during practice. I mean, it's an abysmal roster with some serious team cancers. Yeah. I mean, I like Kevin Love, but he's handled this horribly. Uh, I like Tristan Thompson, also handled it horribly. I don't think they were ever okay with John Beeline. No. It seemed like he brought in, like, hey, let's work on the fundamentals. Let's actually do this, this, and this. And they're like, like who the hell are you, old man? Like, like get the hell out of here. Because right. John Beeline seems like just the nice, like, reserved, like, nice old man. And 
in the NBA, sometimes that works, and sometimes you're the Cavaliers. Right. And, oh my God, what an unmitigated disaster that I think a lot of people saw coming. Yeah. It's just like, I feel kind of bad for John Beeline, but also it's like, okay, like you left late in the cycle. I don't feel too bad. You're getting well compensated for it. Right. Thanks for everything you've done, but... It's not like, oh, no, like, how could they do this to John? It's like, it's a business. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really sums up my thoughts. When you mix a college head coach with a terrible locker room, a worse organization, and also the guy that was the biggest fan of Beeline, Dan Gilbert, uh, I think he had a stroke like a week into the season. So, like, Beeline's biggest ally in the organization was gone for three or four months. Yeah. And I do have to say, what a job by Dan Gilbert, Michigan State alum, taking his school's biggest rivals head coach and just resetting that button. Yep. It's what we need Stephen Ross to do with Ohio State head coaches. There you go. Just what an absolute great job he did as just an alum and – and good for you, Dan Gilbert. You're a terrible owner, but I respect the hustle. Hey, man, he's he's playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. You know, <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, Beeline made his money at Michigan. He made his legacy on hand choosing players that would fit within his system, right? And outside of a couple coaches in the NBA, a system doesn't really exist. You work within the roster that you did not choose. So in, in college at Michigan, Beeline was able to construct and, and that's, I would say like his main approach, right? Construct. It wasn't about getting, you know, the top four recruits each year and then adapting like a, you know, a Duke situation, Kentucky, where your roster is different every year. Um, the main adjective I would say there or action would be um, you're adapting. You're adapting to your roster. It's ever-changing trades. You're not in, in control of a lot of these decisions overall, so you're always adapting. And not only are you adapting to the skill set of the players, but the personalities. You're more of a manager of the people rather than a creator of the system. And when you don't have that level of control um, – your focus is no longer the X's and O's of, you know, these players that you recruited. It's more about managing the personalities and managing, um, you know, this group of people together rather than, you know, at Michigan, it was just a, a, you know, you can get the recruits you can, but I'm sure he, his prioritization was more on, Hey, you're coming into a system. We have a track record of getting people to the NBA within this system and you're the law. That's it. You have to listen. Otherwise, you're not going to get playing time. You're not going to be able to, sh- to show that to the NBA scouts and, and get to the next level. We're in the NBA. Kevin Love's already making, I don't even know his contract. It, it'll make me sad if I look it up. He's making millions. Dollars. Yeah, 30 mil. What, what does he have to do? You already think you're above the fundamentals, which, I mean, you pointed out, terrible, <laughs> just a roster that was not set up well for Beeline to be able to come in and say, hey, we're not very good. Let's go back to the basics. Let's start there until we get this down. Anything else I do is just kind of belaboring the point that we're not a good fundamental team. We don't have the fundamentals down. So I get it that the players making $30 million a year aren't going to buy into that. 
But hey, you guys kind of suck. <laughs> and maybe it can't hurt to go back and uh, and focus on on the basics. So I agree. It just it wasn't a good fit. Uh, in a different world, I want to see Beeline go to like Memphis, work with a younger roster or a roster. Um, honestly, I don't even know what the best program would be right now for so him. I've got I've got a I've got a, a bit of a of a fit in mind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'll I'll walk you through this. Okay. So and and the only reason it might not work, and I'll get to that after. But so I, I was thinking he doesn't really like recruiting at a high level. He's a very um, like ethical guy. He's not someone that wants to do anything that's not by the books. Yep. So I'm thinking probably a smaller um, school, but still a pretty high level. Sure. So like high, high mid major. And I was thinking good academics. Yep. And I was thinking good basketball history. Sure. And then I was just thinking, because I'm pretty, I think John Beeline's Catholic, so I'm like Catholic school. And what what I think would be a really good fit, and it's a team that's been struggling for a bit, would be George Mason. Ooh. I think he'd be a really good fit at George Mason. Now, and here's the reason he he probably wouldn't take it. Sure. So do you know who uh, George Mason's head coach is right now? I could not tell you. So that would be Dave Paulson. Okay. Okay. So Dave Paulson not only um, was a former assistant at Michigan during the Fab Five. Yep. But Dave Paulson coached at uh, LeMoyne which is uh, a school John Beeline coached at. Didn't know that. LeMoyne College. And he came in four years after Beeline left for whatever school he he went to. Yep. And so he had a relationship from him there. And then do you know where Dave Paulson went next, Stephen Ostentoski, or Ostentoski? I do not know. So he went to Williams College. <laughs> so – so aside from being my father's alma mater, what 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 just immediately rings a bell to you about Williams College? Duncan Robinson, maybe. Okay, Duncan Robinson. Now, now if I were to give you one guess and one guess only, what coach do you think told John Beeline he had to recruit Duncan Robinson? Tell me. That would be Dave Paulson. Yeah, there you go. Dave Paulson uh, won – two or three national championships at Williams. It's a very high level basketball in the, in the NESCAC, but he and John Beeline are friends. Uh, He is the reason Duncan Robinson's there. And so that either makes George Mason uh, a perfect fit or a terrible fit. Cause sometimes coaches don't like to go somewhere. Their, their friends are fired. And uh, John Beeline seems like someone that would be right in that, that alley. But so I think, all things considered, I mean, as a Northeastern guy, I would look for like Atlantic 10 schools, um, maybe a school in the Big East where strong academics, he can recruit well, but he can recruit his guys, but focus more on developing players. So, yeah. so George Mason's got some pretty cool uh, John Beeline connections. 
So that's that's where I would say um, I would like to see him. I think we're in this we're in the same vein uh, of where I would like to see him too. I'd like to see him in a you know not a big program. I don't think like Texas. It'd be cool yeah. if you would go to cool. Texas. I don't see it. I don't. There see it. seems like way too much behind the scenes political bullshit yeah. for John Beeline to spend his like retirement years right. with Texas. Yeah, and and I think. The thing that stands out to me is he left because he doesn't want to like he didn't like the recruiting game, right? That may change with the future of you know being able to have players uh, profit off their likeness. That could help alleviate some of that. But I still think that that eats at him a little bit. I think that it takes way too much time recruiting in a game that uh, is inherently unfair with just the amount of money thrown around these days. Um, so I think we're in the same boat there. I think. He needs to go to a school. You mentioned it, higher academics. Man, I could see him retiring at Harvard or like Princeton. Go to a school where the only kids who really want to go there are kids who are really, really highly interested in academics, where you don't have to play the card in with the Isaiah Todd's or the Josh Christopher's of the world because they're just not going to go there. You can you can focus in on, Hey, how important are academics? And also you're a really smart player. Um, the guys that are going to Harvard are going there, you know, obviously there's, there's some, um, you know, Jeremy Lynn. Yeah. I mean, there's some players that came out of those, those programs and overall the Ivy league, isn't that bad in basketball. So you'll still have to do some recruiting, but overall the guys that you get, be pretty smart <laughs> um you're going to be able to attract decent talent because you're john beeline and those guys making an impact in your system they're going to pick it up really quick uh they're going to be pretty willing to listen because mm-hmm. you don't get to harvard without being a, a pretty good student of um you know just being a student and then you can be a student of the game as well if you're uh athletically inclined to make a, a d1 basketball uh team so i want to see him at an ivy league school um, where he, you know, he'll be a 12 seed and just make a run every three years or so in the tournament. Um, it's a job where he'll still get a lot of, you know, those Ivy Leagues basketball is by far uh, one of their bigger sports there. So he'll still have, you know, a, a decent following and and, um, and and fun actual actually coaching the game instead of having to focus a lot on recruiting, which you do as a coach of a larger program. Yeah, I, I think we're agreed on there. Uh, high academics, yeah. low pressure recruiting and development. So yep. um, it, it'll be interesting. I see him taking one more job to, to give his son another shot. But, um, yeah. Okay. Right. And Cool. So and then so those are that. There, there's something I saw on Twitter that, that I wanted to talk about because I have some thoughts on this. Okay. Uh, we'll probably save the, the Michigan State. So I'm looking at the time. Probably maybe save that for another episode yeah. once um, once we know who their defensive coordinator is going to be and they yep. round out that staff. But so the Twitter question, who is one player, or I, I did multiple, but someone that played primarily for your rival that you loved? And I, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I have a couple players that – even though they were Ohio State, Michigan State, or Notre Dame guys that I loved watching. Now, this can be basketball. This can be football. It can be whatever. But who are the rival players that you're like, 
man, it sucks that he's a Buckeye, but I just love watching him. Yeah, I think one that stands out the most is, ooh, I think Braxton Miller was just insanely athletic. I mean, that, that spin move he had against Virginia Tech, I remember my mind just being blown. Um, his um, willingness to switch to a different position, um, I think that takes a, a lot of guts overall. Um, it's hard for me to like really be invested in the personalities because a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he's just a blast to watch, and he's insanely athletic, but... I mean, obviously, might not be a very good guy. Yeah, exactly. And his comments about Michigan, obviously, I get it. It's a rivalry, but um, I don't know. I never heard that from like Braxton Miller as much. Um, I don't know. His his athletic ability and um, both as a quarterback and eventually as like that H back wide receiver position. I think he was really, really fun to watch for me. Um, I have to think about basketball, man. Um, so I've got I've got one definitive basketball and one definitive football outside, and I'm glad you didn't take my football one. Okay. My my all time favorite player that played for one of the the big rivals is Cardale Jones. Ooh. Okay. I love 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 <laughs> love Cardale Jones. His, I mean, coming in against Michigan, I mean, luckily. Ohio State was already winning, so and that was a bad Michigan team, so I didn't really care as much. But blasting Wisconsin, beating Alabama, and beating Oregon, and going three and zero in your only three starts in your three biggest games of the year to win the national title, and then he went, I think, six and zero the following season when he was splitting with uh, JT Barrett. So he never lost in college as a starter. Yep, really fun dude. Uh, I, I remember there was an article he visited the children's hospital in Columbus um, and visited one of the, the sick kids and played NCAA with him and beat him like 115 to 21. <laughs> um, and that's great. The didn't come here to play school thing I thought was really funny, Yeah, but hilarious. I thought it was also cool. He was the first guy in his family to graduate from college. Yeah. So that, that's a really cool story of a guy that, you know, might've been a little bit of a knucklehead early on. But really got his stuff together. He's doing really well in the XFL. And and I wish nothing but the absolute success for Cardale Jones. If he played for Michigan, I would have 10 Cardale Jones jerseys hanging in my basement. <laughs> and my my basketball one, and, and I kind of take the personalities in uh, a, a decent amount because, um, I don't know, I, I just like to. Ezekiel yeah. Elliott, I agree with you. But once it turned out he was kind of a – not a great human being. I'm like, eh, let's cut this. Yeah. But my, my basketball one is, is uh Cassius Simpson or Cassius Winston. Okay. I was, uh, I was in a Twitter <laughs> thread, like calling Xavier Simpson better, like as a joke and yeah, yeah, yeah. mixing the two, but uh Cassius Winston, incredibly great player. Um, one of the better point guards I've seen in the last few years, really good human being incredibly talented basketball player yeah. helped upset um a duke team with zion williamson rj barrett and cam reddish in the elite eight uh won a couple big 10 titles and, and most importantly in my mind uh when when the larry nasser stuff uh came out and it was really hitting its peak during the trial i believe he went to almost the entire trial and he was an incredibly great spokesperson 
impromptu spokesperson for the, for the men's athletes to men male athletes to have representing sure. them because he basically came out and said as an athletic department uh, we have to do better um, he was there supporting uh, the brave gymnasts who spoke out mm-hmm. and he didn't have to do any of that right he didn't have to I wouldn't have blamed a single person for saying like shit I don't want to like even be around that right and so like he's um, he's really up there in my book as a, as a human being and a basketball player and then my third and fourth I love Golden Tate because Ooh. he jumped into the Michigan State band <laughs> and funny. I I used to pretend to be Drew Neitzel in my Ooh, driveway so funny. those are those are my other two I think it's it's good. I think Cassius Winston is probably one of the more respected players um, because, man, I've never seen someone so good look less athletic than Cassius Winston. He does not look like an all Big Ten, like National Player of the Year candidate. I don't think he'll win it this year. Um, but, you know, just overall, last year he was the Big Ten Player of the Year. And how. I mean, first of all, how many of those guys actually return to basketball? But he is just so crafty. I mean, he, he can shoot, obviously, very well, distribute the ball really well. He doesn't turn the ball over very much at all. Um, but, man, he, he knows when to draw a foul, how to draw a foul. He His body awareness is very, very good. Um, yeah, and like you said, he, he's a very good floor general and overall a, a good representative good representative of the university. I didn't know all of, of the, uh, the points you made about him, but everything so, that's come across with him has mm-hmm. been nothing but good that I've seen. Yeah. So I, I found the quote and Brendan Quinn during the trial asked uh, Winston whether players were seeking out information or like isolating themselves just to focus on basketball. And Winston's quote was, you don't put up walls. This is real life. This is a terrible situation. This is something we're going to use to tell our daughters one day or our sons, especially you can't ignore it. You've got to listen to it. We have to listen. We have to discuss. That's when you get answers. That's great. Yeah. I I mean, that's mature. How how many college students have that, you know, that level of um, recognition of the importance of the moment, you know, that's really what it is. So yeah, I mean, obviously he's, he's dealt with a lot this year, even to continue playing, um, you know, with the, with the family, uh, you know, loss that he's had and had to deal with all year. It's, it's pretty respectable overall. So, so yeah, I think overall respectable player, uh, hard to beat, hard to beat him there. I think the player that I, um, I never like publicly made fun of him watching, but, uh, respected a ton just by his play style was Matt McQuaid. I mean, he was more of just a, um, he's just like a pesky guy. He looks like the character, the McPoyles from it's always sunny, (laughs) which is hilarious, but man, the dude played so hard. He would run through, like run around screens away from the ball. His action was just nonstop. Um, dude could drain a three and, uh, I mean, just like a true college player where his athleticism isn't, you know, anything to write home about. Um, but man, he just played so hard and uh, I can respect it. He was, he had a hateable face, um, very hateable player overall, but I was terrified of him, man. When I'm seeing him oh, yeah. just like scream along the baseline, coming around to the wing for a three and spot up off of a screen, I'm like, 
it's over because <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. drenched in sweat. Dude is flying all over the court. And uh, it, he was the guy who would always watch off ball for Michigan State because he had a motor. He had a motor on him. It was just unbelievable. Um, but, but yeah. Who, who, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, just to wrap that part up, if you just had to guess like two or three athletes of Michigan's that you think would be in like the love to watch category, who would they be? Oh, that's a good one. Who made a big enough impact? Um, it's got to be Devin Gardner. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. He was top of my list. Or, or sorry. I, I, I think Devin Gardner would be one that a lot of people would I have, like. I think we're about the same on one and two. Yeah, Denard Robinson Denard has Robinson. to be. Yeah, yeah, both of those guys. Um, Jabril Peppers was fun to watch. I feel like he didn't have the impact. I um, think a lot of people hated him because they so. thought the the hype outweighed it, which yeah. is a discussion for another day. Right, and then I would say basketball. Um, Xavier Simpson's fun. <laughs> people hated Wagner. Hated. That's <laughs> why I love it. He loved him. it. Oh yeah, no, he was he loved to play the heel. It was mm-hmm. great. I don't know who's like a lovable um Carousel Vert really didn't like have enough. Maybe Derek Walton. Yeah, I, that's that's what I came to. I think Trey Burke was too good. Yeah, Trey Burke was I, just I think yeah. I would go Derek Walton on that. Yeah. But again, he only had like half a year, you know. It wasn't like he he really jumped out. He was a fun player. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would be um like my one of my favorite would be like Jordan Morgan, just because it's like Davis mm. is kind of reminding me of him a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. he was such a good player. But yeah, I, I don't know who. Uh, yeah, maybe I would stick with Derek Walton or yeah, I, uh, I Stauskas was hated, man. Yeah, that oh would my be God. I, Stauskas is so would be so Stauskas I think would be hated. I think Wagner obviously, and I think probably Duncan Robinson was probably hated. Mm. Um. Not as dude, much. Not as much, but Duncan Robinson, people forget that dude was about that action. Yeah, he was. Like, he was, yeah, but so I just wanted to, <laughs> I think we're question. pretty spot on, on in that regard. Yeah, for sure. All right, Harry. Uh, hey, Steve. I got to go. I got to take off. I got to check in on a bunch of things. Call my mom. Sounds good. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Tell, uh, tell Mrs. O I say hello. Sure. It's always good to call your moms. If you're listening and haven't called your mom in a few days, call your mom. There you go. Um, literally the the easiest thing you can do to make their day. That's it. That's it. Literally it. And you'll All feel it, better about yourself. That's true. I'll feel better about myself. Oh, it's the best. It's the best <laughs> therapy ever. But, uh, so give your mom your uh, warmest regards, uh, and uh, we'll uh, get together again soon. We will. You can follow Harry Hillman on Twitter at HarrisonQuinn90. You cannot follow my mom on Twitter. Even if she had one, don't do it. You can follow me on Twitter at Steven Toski. Uh, we'll catch you. Man, we got to do one. I'll be around next week. We can do that. Absolutely. And then we'll have one hopefully coming out soon with uh, mm-hmm. with the beautiful man David himself as well. Absolutely. All right, Harry. You have a great rest of your night, and we'll talk soon. All right. You too, Steve. Thanks, buddy. Bye.